Do our part. Amen. Thank you, Brother Danny. Appreciate that. Boy, I tell you what, it's good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Thank the Lord for being good to us. Thank the Lord for my father. I'm telling you what, thank the Lord for a dad that stands for the truth. They called him up uh, this morning and uh, told him Happy Father's Day. We talked for a few minutes and he said, guess what I'm preaching on this morning? He began to tell me what he was preaching on. and I told him, I said, send me a copy of that. I believe I'll preach that too one day. No, I'm telling you what, it's good to have a good father, one that loves the Lord, one that raised me to love the Lord. And then I called my son John, or he called me. My son John called me to wish me a happy Father's Day. I said, you doing any teaching or preaching today? He said, yeah, I'm teaching Sunday school this morning, teaching to a group of teens this morning. And uh, he was telling me what he was going to be teaching on. He said, I'm preaching Wednesday night also. Boy, I'm telling you what, there's nothing better than being a father. I'm telling you what, and the Lord uh, just works and see the Lord working in our lives. I'm telling you what, I thank the Lord for it. It is good to be in his house this morning. I will say that um, I was all over the place on what to preach this morning. This message that I'm going to be preaching this morning is the fourth message that I had in mind for today. I had a message for today planned weeks ago and uh, as I got closer to Father's Day, I was like, no, I don't, I don't believe that's what I'm going to preach. And the Lord was taking me in a different direction. I felt like he was. And, and then I, was, I, I thought, well, after last week, and we just didn't even get into what I wanted to get into last week, I thought, well, we can just move on into this series on parenting, and that would be very fitting to Father's Day and was looking at that. And then, and then I, I spent the weekend... Uh, being a father, uh, Joel's truck was broke down and uh, I spent the weekend being a mechanic and getting his truck fixed up because Joel's leaving out in the morning to go to the wilderness camp for six weeks so we had to make sure his truck was ready to go and, and I began to put together some sermon thoughts as I was working on his truck on the reward of being a father and boy I tell you I had a real good outline on the rewards of being a father and I was pretty convinced that's what we were preaching but then yesterday morning the Lord just turned me again. And he led me to Luke chapter number 15. And I really believe that this is exactly where the Lord wants us at this morning. And this morning I want to look for a few moments at this story of the prodigal son. But instead of looking specifically at the prodigal son, I want to look this morning at the father of the prodigal, the father of the prodigal. And so the Lord being our helper, we're going to take a look at this passage this morning. And I believe in this passage of Scripture, uh, uh, we can see uh, here in this passage a father who I believe uh, is a role model to all fathers uh, as to how a father should conduct himself uh, toward his children. And I believe we can learn a lot from that. And we'll be looking at that this morning. But even more than that, I see here in this picture, uh, and the Lord told this parable, for this reason, I see here a picture of a father that is an example of our heavenly father. And he is an example of our heavenly father's love toward us. And so this is what we will be looking at this morning. So look with me in Luke chapter number 15. We'll begin our reading in verse number 11 and we'll read down through verse number 24. The Bible says, And he said, this is the Lord speaking. He's telling a parable. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. 
and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, it is good to be in your house. Lord, it's good to be among your people. Lord, it is good to have the privilege, the freedom, the opportunity, Lord, to meet together, to worship together, Lord, to encourage one another together, and Lord, to look into your word and find the truths of your word. Now, Lord, as we go into this message, Lord, I'm relying on you. I'm depending on you, Father. You have given me this thought. And Father, Lord, I pray that you will preach it through me, and Lord, that you will deliver the message, and Lord, that what you want to be said is what will be said this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are in the auditorium, Lord, that do not know you as Savior. Father, I pray that you will take your word this morning and Father, Lord, that you will show them their need to put their trust in you as Savior. Father, I pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Bless us now as we look into your word and Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, we see a joyful father. We see a broken father. We see a believing father. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we see a man who was faithful. We see a man who had integrity. We see a man who loved, who forgave, and who restored. When we look at this parable, we see a man who exemplified fatherhood in the earthly realm, but he also was an example of our heavenly father. So this morning I want to take a few minutes uh, and look at this thought uh, of the father of the prodigal. The first thing I'd like for us to notice this morning is found in verse number 11 where we see what I am calling the joy of the father. In verse number 11 the Bible says, and he said a certain man had two sons. You say, well now Pastor John, that doesn't say anything about joy in that verse. Well let me just tell you from experience, there is nothing that'll bring a smile to a parent's face like their children will. There is nothing that'll bring joy to the heart like a person's children will. There is nothing that'll thrill your soul like your children will. There is a joy that comes with raising children that cannot be compared to anything else. 
girls. Boy, whenever those little ones are first born and you hold them in your arms and they're so precious and they're so tiny and they're so innocent and they're so fragile and you're holding them in your arms and your heart is swelling with the joy of having brought this little life into the world. And then as they begin to grow and they get up about the size of Olivia and Reagan and boy, they're learning how to say all these cute things and they're learning to get into all this mischievousness and they're learning how to do all these things and boy I'm telling you what they keep you on your toes and they provide more laughs and more fun and more excitement than you ever imagined possible I'm telling you what you just love those little kids yes there's times whenever they're frustrating and whenever you feel like pulling your hair out because they just won't learn but don't worry they'll get it you hang in there they'll figure it out but the joy that comes with having children is unmatched then as those children come into teenagers they begin to develop their own ideals, their personality and their characteristics begin to be very obvious. You begin to recognize who this person's going to be when they become an adult. They are able now to have a good intelligent conversations. They can present ideas and you can sit down with them and you can talk with them and I'm telling you what it just thrills your heart that you are able to have a child that can interact with you on that level. Then they grow on up until young adults and I'm telling you what you feel like uh, you have an army. You can accomplish anything. You've got this family of young adults uh, that are there with you. They are beside you. They are helping you and they bring joy to your heart over and over and over again. There is nothing that can bring as much joy into a person's life as children can. Now I will say there are some people who miss this joy. There are some people who are so caught up in themselves that they miss the joy that a child can bring. There are some people who make wrong decisions and wrong choices and they rob themselves of the joy that a child can bring. There are some people who because of their selfishness and their self-centeredness, they are not able to partake in the joy that a child can bring. But whenever a parent understands their responsibility and a parent understands their role and a parent understands how they are to engage with their children and they give themselves to raising and training their children... There is nothing that compares, as Theodore Roosevelt said, which we read earlier, everything else that a man may endeavor to do pales in comparison to the fulfillment that comes from having children. I look here in this story and I see a man. The Bible says there was a certain man who had two sons. There is no doubt in my mind that this father in our story was a man who found great joy in the lives of these two young men. There is no doubt in my mind that when these two boys was born, here he is. He's a young father. He's just getting his farm started. He's just getting established as an as a, as a owner of property. and He's just getting going and he has these two little boys. And they get up about three, four, five years old and they didn't have tractors back then but he's got them sitting on the back of the mule while he's plowing the field he's got them down there picking the potatoes up as he turns them out of the ground and they're getting all dirty and grubby as they get a little bit older he begins to teach them the trade he begins to teach them boys what to plant and when to plant it and how to harvest it and how to package it for marketing and how to make a living and he becomes a successful farmer he's a very successful guy he's got plenty he's doing well and the two people that's been by his side the entire time are these two young men they are in a right 
right way, in a right sense. They are his pride and his joy. These two boys mean everything to him. They are his joy. They thrill his heart. The Bible says as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. It says happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. These two boys have brought joy into the life of their dad. And I'm telling you what, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can bring joy into the life of a person like children can. Amen. But in verse number 12 and 13, we see the sadness of the father. Just as there is nothing that can thrill your heart like a child can, there is nothing that can break your heart like a child can. Just as there is nothing that will make your heart swell so big that it hurts with the love that you have for them, there is no one that can shatter your heart like a child can. Verse 12 and 13, we see the sadness of the father. It says there in verse number 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. No problem yet. But look at verse number 13, and not many days after. The younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here we see the sadness of the father. We don't know how old this young man he is. He was the youngest of the two, but he was old enough to go out on his own. I'm guessing this young man was probably in his early 20s. We're going to say for 20 years, Dad has invested in this young man. For 20 years, Dad has taught this young man everything that he knows. For 20 years, Dad has tried to equip this young man to be a successful young man when he stepped out into adulthood. For 20-some years, Dad has given himself to making sure that this young man would be provided for. For 20 years, he's made sure that this young man received the education that he needed. For 20 years, he's made sacrifice. For 20 years, he's given of himself to this young man, and he's given, and he's given, and he's given and the young man is of age and the young man says, Dad, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now many times we'll look at this verse and say that the young man was impatient and wanted his inheritance before it was time. That may be the case, but we don't know. What it appears to me is that there was money set aside for the young men to take whenever they went out to start their own lives. I worked for a dairy farmer when I was 18 years old. I worked for this dairy farmer and he had a thing set up where his children, from the time they were like four or five years old, worked with him on the farm and he paid them a salary, but they didn't get it. He put it in a savings account and he paid them just like any other farm hand. He put the money in the savings account from the time they was four or five years old and he paid them every day. And whenever they got married, uh, he gave them the password to the savings account and normally they would have $100,000, $150,000 to buy their own farm and get started. And that's what I see going on right here is there was some money set aside for whenever this young man stepped out in life. There is some money that has been set aside to get him started in life. Some money that dad had made there to help him be successful. And the young man comes to this point in his life uh, and he says, Father, I'm ready to go. Father, I'm ready to step out. Father, I'm ready to be on my own. I'm ready to do things on my own. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. The money that you've set aside for me, go ahead and give it to me. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do this. And the father gave him the money. 
Here you go, son. Good luck, son. We're looking forward to it, son. We're going to see what all God's going to do with you, son. Boy, I'm telling you what, we've been looking forward to this day. We've been praying for this day. We've been planning for this day. Here you go, son. And not many days after, he disregarded all of his dad's counsel. Not many days after, he forsook all the principles that his father had put into him. He walked away from everything that his dad had told him was right and he went straight for what his dad had told him to avoid. He walked away from the training and he walked straight away and he went into a life of wickedness. He went into a life of ungodliness and he wasted all the money that his dad had set aside. He wasted all the hundreds of thousands of dollars the money that was supposed to buy him some land, the money that was supposed to get him established, the money that was supposed to pay for his education, he blew it all. Riotous, ungodly, wicked living. He began to pursue the things that he had been told were harmful and damaging and he wasted his life. The Bible says there in verse number 14, or excuse me, verse number 13, he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Verse number 14 says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And we're going to come back to the Father in just a minute, but I want us to just consider this right here. If you're one of those people that has walked away from mom and dad, and you are wasting your life with riotous living. You are pursuing ungodly living. You are living a life that is void of what your parents and your pastor have told you is a right life and that's the way you're going. Let me tell you, it might be fun for a while. But after a while, the fun is going to run out. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. And for some people, that season tends to last a, a little while. And while they're in the ple season of pleasure uh, that comes with a life of denying God, while they're in that season of pleasure, uh, they begin to think uh, that it's okay, uh, that mom and dad were wrong, uh, that this is the better life, uh, this is the better way to live, uh, and you continue down that road, uh, and you continue to live a life of ungodliness, and you tend to live a life of wickedness, uh, but sooner or later the pleasure will run out, uh, you will find yourself uh, at the bottom of the barrel. It says, uh, it says there, and when he had spent all, uh, there arose a, a mighty famine uh, in the land. You say, now hang on. God is in charge of whether or not we have a famine. So the boy has done spent all his money. We know he's getting ready to hit hardship. Why would God allow a famine to come? Because the heartbeat of God is restoration with his children. The heartbeat of God is not that you live comfortably. The heartbeat of God is not that you have a life of success here on this earth. The heartbeat of God is not that you have the best house and the best automobile and the finest clothes. No, the heartbeat of God is that you will get your heart right with Him. The heartbeat of God is that you will repent. The heartbeat of God is that you will come back to Him. And we see here that when He had spent all when he had run out, when he had nothing else to give, God sent a famine. 
You say, how come is it when I'm at the bottom of the barrel, things just get worse? Because God, in His mercy, is trying to bring you to a place of repentance so that you will give your heart to Him, so that He can restore your relationship, so that He can begin to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on your life like you've never imagined. As long as you insist on living a life of sin, He can't open those windows. And with all His heart, He wants to burn you. So He will put you through hardship. He will put you through trials. He will drag you down because He wants you to repent so He can bless you. It's the heartbeat of God. Too many people have confused the Word of God to think that this Bible teaches that if you are a Christian and everything is easy and everything is rosy and that we can do whatever we want to and many people say that God is all love and God don't pass judgment and it don't matter how we live, God's going to still be good to us. Well, the fact that you woke up this morning and you could breathe is God being good to you because He holds your breath in His hand. And if He didn't give you the breath, uh, you wouldn't be able to breathe it. The fact that you're alive uh, is evidence of God being good to you. But God has so much more He wants to do for you besides just give you breath. Uh, he has so many more blessings uh, He wants to pour out on you. Uh, he has so many more ways uh, that He wants to walk with you and talk with you uh, and fellowship with you. Uh, he wants to bless your home. Uh, he wants to put peace and joy in your heart. Uh, he wants to satisfy your soul. Uh, he wants you to find a purpose in life. God wants to be good to you. But you insist on living a life of sin. We find here that this young man, there famine came in the land and he went and joined himself to the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. He said, I would eat the pig food but I'm of less value than a hog. He watched the hog eat with envy. If only, if only I could have a corn husk. He had come to the bottom. You say, why didn't God be good to him? God is, God is dying to be good to him. Why didn't his father come save him? His father is dying to save him. We're going to see that in just a minute. But until the son goes to the father, there's nothing that the Father is going to do. You see, God doesn't force His love on us. God's desire for every human being is that they have a relationship with Him. When God created you in the womb, He designed you for the purpose of having a relationship with Him. But He's not going to force it on you. It's a choice you have to make on your own. So he gives you a lifespan. And during that lifespan, he gives you the opportunity to choose if you will have a, a relationship with him. Some make a choice to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some make a choice to pursue after ungodliness. And God, the whole time, is saying, if you would get up out of the pig pen, I want to bless you. If you would come to the Father, I want to bless you. We see here the sadness of the Father because of the Son's lifestyle. But then in verse number 17, we see the consistency 
of the Father. The consistency of the Father. It says there in verse number 17, And when he came to himself... You know what? Sometimes when you find yourself on the bottom, it's when you're finally able to think clearly. But when he came to himself, he remembered something. He remembered the consistency of his father. Fathers, if I could speak to us concerning our role, there is nothing more important as a father from the time they're born until their children's children are born, if you live that long. There is nothing more important in your role as a father besides consistency. You be consistent. Your children need to know that no matter what dad's going through, no matter what dad is facing, uh, no matter what trials are in dad's life, uh, no matter what's going on, uh, if I go to dad, uh, he will be the same person uh, he has always been. They need to know uh, that regardless of what I do, uh, if I go to dad, uh, he will be the same person uh, he has always been. Now many times we take this and we apply it to love and I believe we ought to apply it to love. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, that charity never faileth. And your kids ought to know that it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they get involved in. There is absolutely nothing that will ever separate them from the love of their parents. They can't get away from it. They can't run from it. Their parents will always love them and they should never, ever have even an inkling of doubt that their parents love them. But you know what this also needs to apply to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This also needs to apply with the standards that you have in place in your home. This also needs to apply with how you live your life and what you allow and what you don't allow. This doesn't mean that in order to welcome my kid back that I quit going to church because they're uncomfortable with it or anywhere else that you want to apply it. No, if you want to be a father that your kid can rely on, you need to be consistent. What did this young man remember? He remembered the consistency of his father. When he came to himself, he said, How many servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? Now remember, he's been gone from home for a while. He had time to spend all his money. He had time to get to the bottom of the barrel. He had time to wear out his welcome at all the friends' house. He had time to work for a farmer until he found himself in the pig pen. He's been gone for a few years. And he began to think. And you know what he remembered? Dad has never changed. I guarantee you, if I go back home, there is bread on the table. I guarantee you, if I go back home, the farm is still running like it always ran. I guarantee you, if I go back home, he's treating his servants far better than this guy's treating me. I guarantee you that dad is still under control. I want to say if we want our children to come back, if we want our children to come seeking our help, if we want our children to come looking to us for advice, they need to know that when they show up, they're going to find the same fellow that was there when they left. We've got to be consistent. He remembered the consistency of the Father. And because he remembered the consistency of the Father, he was comfortable going back to the Father. 
And when he got back, oh, I love this part of the story. He encountered the compassion of the Father. It says here, let's just read the verse, verse number 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I know they didn't have social media back then and they didn't have telephones and they didn't have a lot of the communication that we have now, but word travels. I'm sure dad had heard. I'm sure he had tried to reach out to his son. Hey, son, how's things going? How are your investments going? Have you found any land yet? Son didn't want to talk to dad. Dad investigated. Dad figured out what was going on. Son was living a wicked, ungodly life. He was wasting his money. Dad would get reports back from the far country. Hey, I ran into your son today. Oh, did you? How's he doing? Not good. Dad knew exactly where his son was at. Dad knew that that money that he had worked and laid back so that his son could get a good start in life was gone. Dad knew that his son had marred the family name. Dad knew that his son had wasted multiple years. But he waited. And while he waited, he never stopped looking for his son to return. It says when he was yet a great way off. I don't know how the land laid there. I know in my mind I think in pictures oftentimes and I've got a, a picture of what it looked like. It looks a lot like a farm you'd see around here. I may fancy that. But I see a little house and I see a, a lane going out of the house and kind of two hills coming down in like this. They're wooded, woods on both sides. And you, kind of a wooded lane, a little dirt lane. Down at the end of the lane you come to the house it kind of opens up and you got the fields, all the valley right there, kind of a bowl and the fields are just full. But if you're sitting on the front porch of the house, you're looking straight down that lane. It's a little bit of a curvy lane, but you can see probably five or 600 yards down that lane. Imagine every time Dad walked by the front of the house, he looked down that lane. Whenever he was taking a break and he was sitting on the porch, he was watching down that lane. Before he went to bed at night, he walked out to make sure the door was latched and he'd open the door and hold the lantern up and look down that lane. You see, Dad knew what his son had done. But you know what Dad wanted? He wanted to forgive him. Amen. He knew what had happened, but you know what Dad wanted more than anything? He wanted to sit down at the table with his son and he wanted to have a conversation. He knew his son had wasted his life. He knew his son had made bad decisions. He knew that his son would have had a long road of recovery to ever get back to what his father had intended for him. But you know what the father wanted? He wanted their relationship restored. It didn't matter what he had done. He wanted restoration and he never stopped looking. He never stopped longing for his son to come back. And when his son showed up, his love was on display. I'd have loved to have been there that day. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall. 
Dad's coming in from the chores and he could go in the back door, you know, coming in from the fields. Uh, it's a lot more natural to come up and go in the back door. At lunch is ready. He knows mom's getting ready to feed him, got a sandwich ready. And he's coming in and he, he comes up to the house. But instead of going in the back door, he follows that trail that he's wore down over the last two or three years. There's no grass growing around the left-hand side of that house because he always walks up to the back and then he turns and he goes around the front of that house just like he's done over and over and over and he comes by walking, his, carrying his feet bucket and he stops in front of the porch and he turns and looks up the lane sets his bucket down oh my goodness, it's him oh my goodness, it's him and he drops his bucket and he runs as hard as he can run up the lane and he gets to the son and the son's already prepared his speech, the son's going to tell his father that he's not worthy to be a son and you know what, when you come back that's the attitude you ought to have, he's, the son's already decided to tell his dad that if he'll just let him be a servant he'd love to be his dad's servant he's already ready to humble himself but dad is running as hard as he can go. He's coming up that lane and the Bible says that he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. The son's trying to talk and dad's hushing him up. The compassion was on display. Let me just make a little comparison right here for you this morning. Whenever you were born into this world, you were born into this world for the purpose of having a relationship with God. But you have decided that you would rather pursue ungodliness. You have decided you would rather run after the vices of this world. You have decided that you'd rather live a life of ungodliness, but you have come to the bottom of the barrel. You're beginning to see things fall apart. You're beginning to see that God was right all along, but you don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Get out of the pig pen and come home. Because God is standing there waiting, looking, longing for you to come home. And when you get there, He's going to greet you with arms wide open because this is what He's been wanting from the day He created you. You know what? Many times people will say, Pastor, I've just done too much wrong. Pastor, I've just... God would never love me. God would never accept me. Preacher, you have no idea what I've done. Preacher, you have no idea the life I've lived. Preacher, you have no idea the things I've said. I don't. But I know this, it don't matter. I know standing at the end of the lane is the Father. And He's saying, come home. Come home. Come home. I want you to come home. Never stopped longing. Never stopped looking. Never stopped loving. That's the Father. But then, this evening, this morning, there's more notes in here somewhere. I want to say that we see in the last part of this passage the celebration of the Father. The celebration of the Father. Look if you would, look if you would, verse number 22. So they've, they've met on the line. Son looking pretty rough. Dad hugging him, showing his love for him. The son begins to go over his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And once again, I want to say, he's got the right attitude. You, you come to God, you need to come in a spirit of repentance. He's got the right attitude. Father, I've sinned 
And I'm not worthy to be called your son. But look at verse number 22. And the way this father responds is the same way God will respond to you. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. You know what that ring was? Uh, that wasn't just an ornament. That wasn't just a decoration. Uh, that wasn't just something to make his hand look pretty. Uh, no, that ring uh, was a symbol uh, that he was part of the family. Uh, that ring was a symbol uh, that he was restored to his place uh, of sonship. Uh, that ring showed uh, that he hadn't lost uh, any status. Uh, that God put him back, or that his father put him right back uh, where he was when he left. Uh, he said, put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his hand. He said, put shoes on his feet. He said, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I want to say that the father restored his son to his sonship. He said, let's clean you up. Let's make a new creature out of you. Let's make you look like a son of the father that you were intended to be. And he dressed him and he attired him and he made him look like a son and he restored the fellowship. You know what a lot of times the reason that we don't restore the fellowship is because we think it's up to us to restore the fellowship. We don't know where to start. How do, how do I start to fix this God? How do, how do, where, how, where do I go God? How do I I've done so much wrong. How do I ever fix it? I understand that you created me to have a relationship with you, but God, I've blown it, and I've blown it over and over and over again. Yes, if you was to ask me, I would tell you that I would love to have my relationship restored. If you was to ask me, I'd tell you that, yes, I'd like to be a good person again. The reason I don't is because I can't. Prodigal son couldn't either. It wasn't up to the son to restore the relationship. It was up to the father. And the father was more than willing to restore the relationship. The father was more than ready to convert him into a son of the father. The father was willing and ready and waiting. And let me just tell you this morning, it don't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've got involved with. It doesn't matter what you think you can't overcome. If you will come back to the father, he will restore the relationship. He will love on you like you never thought possible. He will open the the windows of heaven and pour out blessings more than you can receive. He is just waiting and wishing and longing that you would come home. The Bible says if you look back, the whole chapter of chapter number 15 is parables that the Lord told about sinners coming home. If you look back a little earlier in the chapter, you find in verse number 3 down through verse number 7, that he talks about the lost sheep. Well, man, if you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one, doth not leave the ninety and nine and go and find the sheep. Go and look for the sheep until he find it. Look what he said. Look what he said in verse number, verse number five. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You know, the only reason that a sheep gets lost is if it disobeys. The 
only way a sheep will find itself in a bad situation is if it disobeys the shepherd. The only way that a sheep will find itself in harm's way is if it goes past the boundaries that the shepherd has set. So whenever the shepherd goes looking for the sheep, he's not looking for a little innocent sheep. He's not looking for a little sheep that didn't know any better. No, he's looking for a sheep that willfully walked away from him. But in verse number 5 it says when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing. Look at verse number 6. He said, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine that need no repentance. I'm telling you what, if you're here today and you are walked away from the Savior, I feel a little jealous of you because the Bible says if you come back to the Father that He's going to rejoice more over you than all the rest of us in the church building this morning. There is more rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth. If you are living a life of sin, let me tell you, He wants you to come home and there will be a celebration when you come home. If you look, he tells another parable in verse number 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Then after these two stories, he tells us the story of the prodigal son. And He said, go, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was lost or was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. This morning, we're looking at the father of the prodigal. There is an earthly example here and I believe there's much that earthly fathers could learn about bringing wayward children home from this story. The application that I want to make this morning is the same application that God made. And the application that God made is that he wants the lost sheep to come home. We're looking at the father of the prodigal. This morning I believe there's some prodigals. I believe there's some prodigals in the auditorium. I believe there's some people that have walked away from what they know is right. And they feel like there's no way they can come back. Let me tell you, the father, he's standing at the end of the lane, waiting, looking, longing, wishing, that the prodigal would come home. You know what? There's nothing better you could do on Father's Day than to come back to your heavenly Father. He wants to pour His blessings out on you. Oh my goodness, He wants to love on you. Oh my goodness, He wants to be good to you. Will you come back to the Father? It's what He created you for. You know what, you can do a lot of things with different things. I'm a country boy, so 
My illustrations are oftentimes got a little country twist to them. And you can split wood with a machete, but that's not what the machete was made for. It's hard on the machete. Probably end up breaking the machete because it wasn't built for splitting wood. The machete was built for clearing brush. You put a machete in the brush, there's nothing that'll perform any better. Axe was made for splitting wood. You can split wood with an axe. It's difficult to clear brush with an axe. Don't work real well. What in the world am I trying to say? I'm saying God created you for a relationship with Him. And there's other paths that you can take. There's other directions you can go. But let me tell you, it's going to be hard. But if you will do what God created you for, you will find a life like you've never dreamed possible because it's what He made you for. Let's all stand to our feet. This morning, we've preached on the father of the prodigal. And in this story, we see a picture of our Heavenly Father. This morning, Miss Debbie's going to begin to play on the piano. And as she plays, if you are here this morning and you're like, Pastor John, that rang true. Pastor John, that's me. Pastor John, that's where I'm living at. As Miss Debbie begins to play, I want you to leave your seat and I want you to come to this altar. I want you to return to the Father. I want you to let somebody take the Word of God and show you how that you can either know for sure that you are on your way to heaven, or they can take the Word of God. They can show you how to restore the relationship that you walked away from. As Miss Debbie plays, don't, don't fight the Holy Spirit. As Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart, you come. Christians pray. wonder how many days the prodigal sat in the pig pen and thought about going home. But instead he ate the husk one more day. And the next day he said, this is a terrible life and I don't need to be here. But when it came down to the thought of going back to the father, for some reason he had a fear of what he might face. He said, no, I'll stay in the pig pen. I wonder how many days went by when he had opportunity to return 
but he chose to stay in the pig pen. This morning, let me challenge you, don't stay in the pig pen. Make that decision that you're going to get out of the pig pen and you're going to return to your father. You'll never, ever regret coming back to the father.